This is Dr. David Bauer in his teaching on inductive Bible study. This is session number 12, Detailed Analysis, Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 33, Outline of Passage, Contextual Connections, and Logical Labels. Okay, we want to uh, go ahead and look at the second uh, alternative uh, for uh, focused observation on individual passages. We mentioned the first possibility, which is detailed observation. Uh, the second possibility is a detailed analysis or a thought flow, um, which uh, um, really uh, involves an outline of the passage. It's a matter of outlining the passage and uh, noting especially uh, contextual connections, structural relationships, and logical labels. That's the best way I can describe it. An outline of the passage that emphasizes contextual connections, structural relationships, and logical labels, or logical headings, and the like. Um, uh, it's uh, helpful, I think, to begin by making, if we do a detailed analysis, begin by making observations regarding the relationship of the passage that we're observing to its immediate context, and on a scratch piece of paper, note the general structure of the passage. Again, do something like a survey of the, of the passage, noting main units, subunits, major structure relationships. But then go to the first main unit identified and locate its main divisions and subdivisions and break each subdivision down into increasingly smaller, more specific components. In the process, suggest, assign appropriate logical labels, identify structural relationships, and no contextual connections. Follow the same process with each of the other main units you identified. And note the major unifying theme of the passage as well as the sub-themes, and observe how the sub-themes contribute to and expand or support the main uh, theme. And I would note major interpretive questions that occur to you as a result of your detailed analysis. Now, uh, this is especially helpful when you're working with longer passages uh, because it's very difficult, of course, to do a detailed, say, a detailed uh, observation, such as we did with James 1, 5 through 8, on a whole segment. That, would take, that takes a lot of time. Uh, and uh, so you're able, really, to do a detailed analysis, which is a more selective kind of observation on a longer passage. Uh, and also it's helpful, uh, especially in discursive material, in logical argumentation, because it does involve tracing the thought, tracing the flow of thought, which of course is absolutely uh, essential and central to uh, discursive material. Now, um, I think the best way to, uh, to uh, describe, really, detailed analysis is not by talking about it in the abstract, but actually by by, by doing a detailed analysis of a passage. And here, I want to uh, direct your attention to Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 33. Matthew 6, 25 through 33. We'll just remind ourselves of what we have here. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor about your body, what you shall put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. 
and yet your heavenly Father feeds them, are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add one cubit to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O men of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be yours as well. Now, again, uh, this is basically an outline of the passage, so we begin by noting the overall structure of the passage, the main units of the passage. As you stand back and look at the passage as a whole, you'll note that the paragraph here begins and ends with exhortation. Verse 25, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor about your body what you shall put on. And then, in verses 31 through 33, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek all these things, and your Heavenly Father know that you need them all. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be yours as well. So we note here then that uh, he begins with the, uh, with the initial command and ends with final commands. Begins with initial command and ends with final commands. And that in the intervening material, uh, you actually have the reasons why the command of verse 25 and the commands of verse 31 should be obeyed. So you have Command, which really involves, uh, well, you have command, and you have reasons why this command should be obeyed. I'll write that a little clearer here. Reasons why the command should be obeyed, and then the final command. Now, you know that when you have a command followed by reasons why the command should be obeyed, which then is followed by further commands, you have, you have a movement from effect to cause to effect. This involves hortatory substantiation. The reason why you ought to do this is because of this. And I say you ought, and, and because of this, therefore you ought to do this. So, this substantiates substantiation. This substantiates the command in uh, verse 35. Verse 25. And this causes the final commands uh, in, uh, verses, um, uh, in verses 31 uh, through uh, 30. Uh, 
Now we also note that in the command, in verse 25, he speaks about two realms, as it were, or two spheres. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor about your body, what you shall put on. Notice, life, eat, drink, body, wear. You have the same things, the same two spheres in verses 31 through 33. Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? You'll note here then, too, in verses, uh, the intervening, intervening verses, verses 26 through 30, which give the reasons why these commands should be obeyed, that he actually expands upon each of the spheres that he mentions in a more general way in the exhortations of verse 25 and verses 31 through 33. The general reference to life, do not be anxious about your life, what you shall eat, or what you shall drink, is expanded in verse 26. Look at the birds of the air, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And the reference to the body, what you shall put on, is expanded in verses 28 through 30. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O men of little faith? So what you have here then is not only a movement from uh, effect to cause back to effect, but also from general to particular to general. He introduces in a general way uh, this business about anxiety regarding uh, life, what you shall eat and drink, and then he expands upon that in verse 26. He mentions in a general way anxiety with here uh, in verse uh, 25, anxiety regarding the body, what you shall wear, and he expands upon that aspect uh, in verses 28 through 30. Now, so here then we have the general outline, don't we, of the passage. Let's go ahead and note uh, how uh, verse 25 itself breaks down. Therefore I tell you, which by the way is an introductory statement, uh, but we'll pass over that for the time being, uh, do not be anxious about your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor about your body, what you shall put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. The thing to do here is to do something like a survey of the verse. How does the verse break down? Where is the major break within the verse? And what structural relationship is operative in the verse as a whole? Well, you note that we actually have two sentences here. So it's natural to think uh, that the major break will come between sentence one and sentence two. Do not be anxious about your life, what you shall eat, or what you shall drink, nor about your body, what you shall put on. And then you have the second sentence, which is actually in the form of a rhetorical question. It's a question, but it's not a real question. That is to say, it's not a question that Jesus is seeking an answer to, but it's a declaration in question form. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? You can actually state this, uh, restate it this way. The life is more than food, isn't it? And the body is more than clothing, isn't it? 
So clearly then, uh, uh, those, are those, they, those are the two uh, parts of verse 25. Begins quite clearly, the, and by the way, the first sentence is in the form of a command. It's in the form of an exhortation. It's in the imperative. Do not be anxious about your life. So he begins then really with the exhortation in verse 25a. Exhortation, command, verse 25a uh, here. And then the statement in verse 25b, being in the indicative, we have the strong suspicion that it may substantiate the exhortation in verse 25a. That he may be saying something like this. The reason why I say that you should not be anxious about your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor about your body, what you shall put on, is because... Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. So we'll at least uh, uh, suggest that you may have then, in verse 25b, uh, the reason why this exhortation should be uh, obeyed here in verse 25a, which, of course, would involve hortatory substantiation. Now, let's break down the exhortation a bit. We've already noted that you have... Uh, really, uh, two spheres here. The sphere of life and the sphere of body. Do not be anxious about your life, which he then goes ahead and specifies even further, what you shall eat and what you shall drink, nor about your body, what you shall put on, what you shall wear. Now let's pause and reflect on this a bit. Note that you have two spheres here that the sphere of life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, involves ingestion. Ingestion. That is to say, what you put into the body, inside the body. It is internal to the body. This is a logical observation. Whereas what you wear involves what you put on outside the body. That is external to the body. Both internal needs and external bodily needs. Which really, and of course, that is complete. That is holistic. That is all-inclusive. Internal to the body, external to the body. Internal needs, external needs. In other words, inclusive scope, all needs. Inclusive. Now, as I say, verse 25b may, being in the indicative, may substantiate uh, verse 25a, and this is, uh, this is uh, structured really according to, again, you have those same two spheres, according to the recurrence of contrast. Is not life more than food? When you have more than, that involves a contrast of extent. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? So he says, life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Again, in each case, what you have is a contrast of extent. Life is different from food in that it is more than food. The body is different from clothing in that it is more than clothing. Now, we have to be careful, of course, not to 
uh, get involved in premature interpretation at this stage. Uh, but in terms of making sense of the substantiation here, especially in light of what he goes ahead to say with regard to God and God's pro, pro, provision, uh, the point that he may be making here uh, is that the God who created life is more than able to provide food for the life that he has created. In other words, it was a rather big deal for God to create life, and the God who was able to create life out of, out of non-life will have, no, will have no difficulty at all, will be fully capable of providing food for the life that he has created. It involves really ability, but also perhaps will. If God took the bother to create life, that suggests that he is committed, he will be committed, he will be willing, he is more than willing to provide food for the life that he has made, food to sustain the life that he has made. Again, with regard to the body, it was rather a big deal for God to create the body. And the God who is able to create the body will have no problem uh, uh, providing food, uh, providing clothing for the body that he has created. And again, if God took the bother to create the body, that suggests that he will be committed to care for the body that he has created. Now, one more word with regard to this verb here, and, and verbs are, 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 are often, uh, particularly if they're other than the form of the verb to be, uh, other verbs are, are, are usually worthy of observation. The word here, the verb here is, do not be anxious which uh, clearly is, of course, a negative command, that is to say, a prohibition. Do not be anxious. Now, I'm working with the uh, Greek uh, here, and uh, there are two ways of expressing prohibition in Greek. Uh, one is, uh, is uh, may, with the, which is the negative in Greek, may with the present imperative, which usually means stop being anxious. The other is may with the era subjunctive, which means don't even begin being anxious. But what you have here is may with the present imperative, and it could be translated stop being anxious. It really assumes or presumes a kind of mode of anxiety. Stop being anxious. Now, we go ahead then and look at the particular cause. What we have, as I say, are the particular causes here in verses two through, uh, excuse me, verses twenty-six through thirty. The particular causes. Well, it's both particularization, generalization, and substantiation and causation. And he begins with. Life, which of course is found in verse 20, uh, 26. Life, verse 26. And let's look at how this is uh, presented. Look, again, we stand back and try to get a sense of the structure of the whole. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Now again, uh, you want to kind of do a survey of this, and again you note that you have two sentences. The first has to do with birds. The second has to do with you. 
Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? So what you have, and of course you have to ask yourself, then what is the relationship between you, or between the birds of the air and you? And when he says, are you not of more value, again, that suggests the notion of, of, uh, of contrast, of extent. Greater value than the birds. Different from the birds in that you have greater value than the birds. So basically, he talks in, he, he wants, wants to do is to create a contrast between birds of the air versus you. Now what does he say with regard to birds of the air here? Well, although they do not sow, they do not reap, they do not gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. That word yet suggests contrasts, a kind of mild contrast, a kind of concession. Although, he's indicating here that uh, he, he's drawing contrast between what they do not do and what they get. Although they do not sow, they do not reap. They do not gather into barns. Yet, he says, here you have the contrast. Yet, he says, your heavenly Father feeds them. Heavenly Father feeds them. By way of contrast, he says, with regard to the birds of the air, are you not, you are more valuable than they. Now, really, it's important here to make a logical observation in terms of, of, of what obviously, what is obviously the point that he's making. And the point that he's making is implied. Clearly, the point that he is making is, and this is, as I say, an implied point, Therefore, he's saying, your heavenly Father will surely do as much for you. Surely do as much for you. Are you not more valuable than they? This is really the, what's called the argumentum a fortiori, the argument from the lesser to the greater. If this is true, which manifestly is, therefore, how much more from lesser to the greater? How much more, how much more certainly will he do as much for you? Now, of course, in verse uh, 28, uh, he, he has what you might almost refer to as a parenthetical statement, and that is a principle that anxiety is futile. This is another um, substantiation, way in which another way in which, another substantiation of this command here, do not be anxious. And this really is, is an appeal, as it were, uh, to, uh, uh, to reasonableness. As I say, uh, and by the way, this assumes that anxiety is distressful. 
So this, uh, so, uh, so he's saying uh, it, it makes no sense at all to engage in, dis, in, a, in, in, in a distressful activity when it has no positive consequence. Now he goes ahead in verses 28 through 30 and talks about, develops this notion of clothing. This is, I say, 28 through 30. This was 27. And you have a parallel construction here. Here, it's the lilies of the field that are contrasted with you. Look at the lilies of the field, he says, although... Again, what they do not do, they do not toil or spin. Yet, he says, in contrast, a kind of concession, they surpass Solomon. Even one of them, he says, surpasses Solomon in array. In glory of array. Here you have the notion, really, of glory being brought into it. Over against you, once again, where he says, if God clothes this temporary fleeting grass, here you have a conditional statement, if God clothes, which he certainly does, this grass, which today is alive and tomorrow is cast into the oven, temporary fleeting, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Now, let me just mention here, with regard to this uh, uh, address, you of little faith, we need to ask ourselves in terms of context, connection, what is the relationship between little faith, oligopistos in Greek, between little faith and anxiety. And almost certainly, it involves a kind of substantiation. That is to say, anxiety is a result of little faith, or weak faith. Now, a couple of things to observe uh, here. Uh, note that um, that he talks about birds of the air. So here he's talking about animals. Here he talks about plant. He says, uh, he says, look at the at the lilies of the field. Well, the realm of animal, the realm of plant, birds of the air, field, the earth. So, the heavens and the earth. Notice how this this complements. By the way, also we might note that sowing, reaping, and gathering is male work, whereas toiling and spinning was female work. But what he's indicating really here uh, is that 
is that this care for God's, God's care of his creation is total and complete. It's, it's not restricted just to animals, but it includes plants. It's not restricted to, to, to the heavens, but also to the earth. Uh, this kind of thing. And also, note that what he talks about here in verse 26 is, is uh, as we might say, basic sustenance. He feeds them. But when he, when he goes ahead and talks about the, the lilies of the field, he's talking really about extravagance. Here he brings in the notion of beauty and even of glory, of extravagance. So that God's care for his creation is not restricted simply to basic sustenance, but he's extravagant in providing to, for his, his creation even more than creation needs. Now, of course, this then leads to the, uh, uh, to the uh, final uh, commands that we have here. And you'll notice, again, if you look at the whole of verses 31 through 33, you actually have two exhortations uh, here. Uh, you, have the, uh, you have the negative exhortation in verse 31, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink? So, Begins with a negative exhortation. Do not be anxious. Now, this, of course, ties in with uh, the uh, prohibition in verse 25. We mentioned that there are two ways of expressing, in Greek, two ways of expressing uh, prohibition. One is uh, made with the, um, uh, with, the, uh, uh, with the present imperative, uh, uh, which means stop doing something. The other is may with the, pre, with the error subjunctive, which means don't even start, that, that he uses may with the present imperative here, stop. Interestingly enough, you have the other way of expressing prohibition here in verse 31. Here you have may with the subjunctive, don't even think of being anxious. Do not even begin to be anxious. about what uh, he says, do not be anxious, saying, and here, it's, notice what you have here is direct discourse, saying, what shall we eat, drink, or wear? This is important, I think, because this involves what is often referred to as internal dialogue. What we say to ourselves or within our minds, don't eat... Uh, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, what shall, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear. This may be very significant because this is, of course, the way worry functions. Worry has to do with and is generated by, by this internal di- di- uh, di- uh, dialogue. We talk ourselves into worry. By the way, this also involves addressed to ourselves rather than to a rather than addressed to to a god now in verse 33 we have the complement of this the positive command you have negative command here and negative command here what you should not do notice how the paragraph ends perhaps climactically with what you should do the positive command uh, and uh, the positive command involves um, both 
really involves an exhortation and a promise. The exhortation is seek first God's kingdom, seek, and then the manner of seeking first God's kingdom and his righteousness. And then the promise is, as you do this, and as a result of doing this, all these things will be added to you. Now, with regard to this exhortation, this business of seeking first, notice, uh, well, let me just say before before we get into this, uh, between the negative command here in verse 31 and the positive command in verse 33, we have... Again, the reason why both of these should be obeyed. Sandwiched in here is the reason why both of these should be obeyed. And this involves a contrast between Gentiles and you. The Gentiles, he says, seek all these things. But your heavenly Father... In other words, you have a heavenly father in a sense that they don't. Your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. Now, of course, we mentioned in verse 25b uh, that uh, he indicates that God who created life and created the body uh, has both ability, ability to provide food and clothing for the body and also willingness to provide food and clothing. Here, he says that God has knowledge of your need. So, he's able, he's willing, and he's aware. But with regard to, notice too that you have this very subtle shift from anxiety to seeking. And that raises the question, what exactly is the relation between being anxious and seeking? Uh, this kind of thing. But I would also note here, and by the way, when you have this in verse 31, uh, 33, the exhortation promise involves a historical causation. Seeking first God's kingdom and his righteousness will result in all these things being added to you, but linked with this is horatory substantiation. That is to say, you ought to seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness because the result of that is that all these things will be added uh, to you. There is a question here what, about what is involved in this business of seeking first God's kingdom and his righteousness. We ought to observe that. Whether this first, it clearly, of course, involves priority, but the question is whether it is rel- absolute or relative priority. And if, in other words, if it's absolute priority, he would be saying, seek first and only God's kingdom and his righteousness, and as a result of these things will be added unto you. If it's relative priority, yeah, seek all sorts of things, but you ought to give priority in, your, in, in the various things that you seek to God's kingdom. So whether seek only God's kingdom or seek... We realize that, you, that life involves seeking all sorts of things, but there should be a hierarchy of seeking, and uh, the chief place of seeking should be God's kingdom. So I think you see here, then, uh, that uh, on the basis of this, you get an idea as to what the main point is of this whole, par- of this whole paragraph. 
uh, how, how, how he develops these main, the main theme or the main point uh, here uh, in terms of these sub-themes, how, in other words, the sub-themes relate to the main theme, uh, also how the details fit within the broad program of this paragraph. And this, of course, can lead uh, uh, quite clearly to, uh, uh, to, uh, uh, to interpretation. All right. Well, uh, that, I think, is a good place to pause. We'll, uh, when we come back, we will look at the process of interpretation. We've talked about observation, including raising questions out of our observations. We want to talk a bit about the process of actually answering those questions that arise out of our observation, and that process uh, really is uh, interpretation. This is Dr. David Bauer in his teaching on inductive Bible study. This is session number 12, Detailed Analysis, Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 33. Outline of passage, contextual connections, and logical labels. Mm-hmm.